I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 88 of the Interview Podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio-Technica. I'm John O'Peck, and this week we've got Gosha Rakier from Gosha and DJ for Breakfast here to talk all about the overnight journey from school teacher to breakfast radio host. Or was it overnight? You'll find out soon. But before then, a little bit of housekeeping. First, the iTunes review of the week. This one goes to Padgy, who says, Top tier. Jono puts a fantastic amount of thought and effort into each question for each interview he conducts. Impressive questioning, impressive hosting, impressive guests, and well worth listening to. Thank you so much, Padgy. Those iTunes reviews go a long way to helping people discover the show, so much appreciated. Now, Gosha is a really interesting story. This is one of the most surprising interviews I've done, mostly because Gosha was very, almost reluctant to share her story. That's how I felt, because I guess she didn't feel like it was something worth telling. But as we got into it and looked at some of the things that happened along the way, some of the choices that she had to make, it was very clear that there was a lot of lessons to take out of her journey into radio. She is, of course, the co-host of Gosha and DJ for Breakfast on 96.3, which is a daily breakfast radio show here in Geelong. It's a non-profit Christian community radio station. I had a chance to go on there and talk about my book a year ago, and I was really impressed with uh, not only my friend DJ, but Gosha as the co-host and what they were able to do in terms of live editing and introducing segments, cutting stuff together while the music's running. All really cool to see behind the curtain there. And I guess that's community radio for you. But even more surprising in this interview to learn that Kasha's only been doing this for like four years. So she's a total pro. She's got great charisma. She's very confident. And she has a great lesson about finding that confidence after a period of being unsure of herself. So you're going to hear that interview now. It's a really fascinating story. I think you're going to love it. So sit back. Here's Gosha. Enjoy the show. Gosha, thank you for not only joining me, but for having me in your studio. Oh, that's all right. It's after, after hours time in uh, in the in the studio here. It's weird. Yeah, I'm a breakfast announcer. Yeah, I was going to say. So it's the wrong time of day. It's probably like 12 hours after you're used to being here, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> that's all good. That's cool. So tell me a bit about the show you do. I've had DJ on the podcast before, so loyal listeners will remember DJ, but some people might not know exactly what you do. So how, how do you describe it when you meet people at parties and that kind of thing? Oh, wow. Okay. So I say I'm a breakfast radio announcer um, at a community station. It's a Christian broadcast radio station. And um, I do a show on air with a co-host, DJ, a two-hander mm. from 6.30 to 9.30, Monday to Friday. And if people say, well, what do you talk about? I say, well, <laughs> whatever's in the paper, whatever random anecdotal stories uh, I've had happen in my life, usually dumb things I've done, um, stupid things I've said, or just things I didn't know. So, <laughs> mm. yeah, we just, you know, go with the flow and um, hopefully make it work and have some competitions as well and uh, hopefully engage the, our listeners. So, cool. That's my job, and that that covers three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other the other time is editing, pre-recording, planning. Yeah, scheduling things, emailing, and following things up. So there's a little bit behind the scenes yeah. as well that people forget about when you're sort of just thought of as being on air. Yeah, I can imagine. Like even just coming in here when I was – I think you, you guys had me on to talk about my book and seeing the amount of work that was happening while the songs were playing in like, you know, getting on the phone and talking to people, recording yeah. it and cutting it and editing it. Like 
live, basically live editing. Oh, the adrenaline was, rush yeah. is massive. And it's like one of the best things about sitting behind the panel desk um, is is being in control of mm. editing things yeah. and, and sort of you're a puppeteer. You're a puppeteer of your own show. We don't have a producer. So we're essentially filling that role ourselves whilst also going live to air. And is that a normal thing? Because I imagine like Hamish and Andy aren't sitting there cutting their own jokes. No. (laughs) (laughs) They have a team of about seven producers (laughs) and they've got, well, when they were on air, they had Jack panelling the show. So they weren't even turning their own mics on and off. Um, And then, yeah, they've got, you know, other other creative brains behind the scenes Mm. organising everything. In our situation, it's all hands on deck between DJ and I, we're organising everything ourselves. So we fill the roles of all the creative brainstorming and, you know, Mm. yeah, editing and sound effects and audio grabs and finding stories. It's not like somebody comes in and goes, oh, here's a great story I found. Here, read this. Yeah. It's like I've I've found a story. Cool. Let's let's use that. Which means you're probably, you know, you mentioned working three hours and then doing other tasks, but you're probably working all the time in some sense because you're constantly thinking of content and ideas and bits that you can do the next morning. You don't stop. As a breakfast announcer or as any kind of radio announcer, your life is content. So I go down to the shop and I have an interaction with someone in the car park and I take a mental note, oh, that was funny or that was so stupid or I can't believe I did that. Let's turn that into a talk topic tomorrow or let's use that as content or let's generate some sort of discussion. So it'll go down usually um, in like a chat that I have with my co-host DJ where it's just like bullet point, talk topic, blah, blah, blah or whatever. And sometimes it's like only a couple of trigger words so that I know what I want to talk about Mm. without giving away to him the whole story so he can still act or react, you know, in real life on air to whatever the story is. It's a show business. Yeah, and but even <laughs> Facebook, social media, it's like you're scrolling through and it's, you know, somebody like a friend's posted something funny about one of their kids and you go, oh, my gosh, that's hilarious. Bang, screenshot, save that. That's a great piece of content or here's an article you've read or here's a stupid quiz you've done. So, like, everything's constantly generating material for what you do on air. So, yeah, in a, in a way you are working. That's cool. I'm interested now if we can backtrack about how you got to this point and – how long you've been doing radio for? Because I know, I think you come from Queensland as well, or somewhere up there. I'm a I'm a Geelong girl oh, right. originally, okay. but I did spend time on the Gold Coast in right. radio. So I guess I'll fit that into yeah. my story. <laughs> so let's take us back to I guess the beginning. Like, did you have aspirations to work in radio? From- Great question. So picture a little five-year-old me, um, which is hard for you to do if you've never seen a picture of me. I'm a six-foot-tall giant female, um, so picturing me at five is sometimes very difficult. But I remember sitting in my parents' kitchen as a little girl with a tape deck and a cassette tape um, because I was an 80s kid, hitting that play and record button simultaneously. And at age five, I was making my own radio shows. Nice. Um, grade two, grade three, I was bringing home readers and recording myself reading them because in my head I was a presenter. Like in my heart, 
that was always yeah. in me. That's what I always wanted to do. Were you introducing tracks, like music? No, like not that? so much. I was more just interested in presenting things and, and reading and performing. So it wasn't so much about the music as it was about performing and interacting and, you know, mm. even like, um, you know, hosting things later in my 20s, like, you know, being a trivia host. And then um, at the local pub, I hosted sumo wrestling. Um, so I was the commentator for that. And um, just just all sorts of things, like anything up the front, I was there. School-wise, every school production, I was on the public speaking team, I was on the debating team, I was in the school choir. Anything that had a performance element, I was involved. And mm. it was in me from that, yeah, that really early age of five. I, I, I loved it. I wanted to pursue it. And I went on after high school to drama school. And it was about then that... Probably before I even auditioned for drama school, I'd lost a lot of confidence and I didn't think that I was good enough and I didn't think I had anything to stand out from anyone else. Mm. And I became really timid. I and guess confidence is yeah. such an essential part of yeah. being able to do well, this, you've, isn't it? You've got, to, you've got to believe in yourself and I don't know that I really did. I, I not necessarily didn't believe in myself but was so scared of failure mm. that in many aspects it was easier not to try and fail than it was to put yourself out there and come up against this feeling of not being good enough or being rejected. So that was a big struggle for me. So after mm. after university, and I only auditioned for drama school because mum really strongly encouraged me to and I came in super unprepared. And nearly, you know, it's a miracle I even got in. But um, after finishing drama school, I was like petrified of going to any audition. Like I didn't. I actually for 10 years didn't go to a single audition and I'd see my classmates and my peers succeeding, doing ads on TV, doing productions, travelling around the world. Home and away. A couple Na actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I And I had nothing to say for myself because I hadn't even tried because I was too scared. I'd perform as a singer, but that was different. You didn't have to audition. You just needed to find a good muso and mm. sort of go go with the flow. Um, so I got, got through life that way and I ended up, uh, you know, overseas working odd jobs um, in retail, in hospitality, in, you know, you name it, I've probably done it. And um, and then decided I'd become a teacher. So I became a, a teacher at the end of 2009 and, um, you know, worked in London again, came back home and was just sort of doing that but not satisfied. And in my heart of hearts, I'd, I knew that I wanted more but I didn't know what that would be and what that would look like. Mm. And I remember daily listening to the radio and no joke, every day I would listen to, you know, different brekkie teams on different stations, predominantly Triple J through my 20s, and I would imagine myself getting up at the time that they got up and marvel at how they did it and marvel at how they created content and how they'd seamlessly transition from that story into this story and that question and and I would imagine back announcing things with my own name in it as if, I was the announcer and that was just normal ritual for me in the car yeah. every single day and I'd dream about going to radio school but I didn't know how to just quit being a teacher on a reasonable <coughs> wage, yeah. feeling established in my career 
in the teaching industry, but unsatisfied and wanting more, but not knowing how to just walk away from that and start with nothing, radio school and then what community radio somewhere unpaid and... And even then, I didn't even think that I'd be good enough, to be perfectly honest. How long ago was this? Um, well, that was 2014. I mean, right. it was it was always in the car. I'd be dreaming of it, but it was mm. 2014 where things changed. Okay. And when you were like talking about sitting in the car, and was there a sense that I could do this? Or was it a gap between you and them? Like when you listened to maybe you know, your favorite musician and think, man, it would be cool to be in this band playing bass or whatever it might be. I always imagined that I could, but I didn't know how to do it. Right. So there was like a distance. Like yeah. you put up a wall between yourself. There was and then- like a this is something other people do yeah. and this is something that only I can dream of, but I don't know how to make it a reality. Sure. That was definitely my sense. And it was this I could go to I could go to radio school, but then where would I be? I didn't see how I could actually become employed in that industry by by trying, which is ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I just thought, oh, I'll, I'd, I could go to radio school and maybe host a show on, you know, midnight somewhere on some unpaid community station. But, you know, I'd still have to do other stuff and I'd still have to work somewhere else and I'd still – that would just be something – for passion or as a hobby. I never imagined that I could actually be living the life where that was my bread and butter. Mm. And so then, <laughs> this is the, I guess this is the fun part. So, <laughs> so literally, uh, wow, 2014, I got in the car one Monday morning. I was driving to my teaching job that I wasn't really happy with, that I didn't really want to be at, that I wasn't satisfied in. And I had the impulsion and this urgency and this burning need inside my chest that screamed at me, change the station, change the station. I'd listened to Triple J for 10 years without ever changing. I was happy there. I hate hated pop music, wasn't interested in listening to commercial radio, wasn't interested in anything that anyone else had to offer, was really happy with my Triple J, basically. Mm. And for some unknown reason this particular day, I actually turned on the radio, Triple J came on, and I started to feel sick in my in my in my heart, like in my body. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I need to change the station. And then I thought, that's ridiculous. Why would I change the station? Seriously. So I'm having this internal sort of battle about changing the station. And I was like, what would I even change it to? Like, why firstly, why would I change it? I didn't understand why I had this need to but this need was burning and it was pressing and it was real but I responded and I flicked through uh you know a few different channels and I found one um in Melbourne called Light FM which is um a positive alternative station they're Christian based but they play a mixture of you know Christian and secular music and I thought okay this is a happy medium it's not going to be too full-on they're still a community station they're not going to be super commercial and in my face and over the top Mm. I'll just have a listen and as I drove in my half-hour drive to work, I, within 10 minutes of that drive, heard an ad that came on and it said, um, our breakfast announcer is on maternity leave. We're looking for somebody to fill in on breakfast. Are you the next big thing? Could you be the breakfast announcer we're looking for? 
Um, we're taking auditions. Here's the phone number to audition on record a message. And then following that ad was a series of, you know, other people's auditions, telling jokes, singing songs, doing funny character voices, whatever. Every atom of my being screamed, this is mine. This is for me. I want this. I cannot believe that there's an opportunity that exists for someone like me with no qualifications, with no previous Mm. radio experience, having never stepped foot inside a radio station, but this ridiculous burning desire inside of me that just screamed, this is, this is mine. This is mine. This is mine. And I, and I I burst into tears (laughs) and was like, oh my gosh, this could be, this could be my way in without having to do the radio school and the this and the that and whatever, which doesn't guarantee it'll lead to anything. Mm. But I freaked out. I totally freaked out because um, they were playing all these, you know, auditions of people on air and they were funny and they people were talented and they had funny voices and characters and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, what have I got? I'm a middle-class teacher working at a special needs school. I'm no one. Like that was really my sense about myself, and it was, and it was, it was actually really, it was a really sad, sad way to view yourself. But at the same time, my desire was so great and so strong. There was something in me that believed that I could go for it, that I had as much of a shot as anyone else, mm. and that really drove me to to try. So three days later, within half an hour of the competition closing, I rang in. And I recorded a voice message, which was my audition, and it sucked. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I did. I just rambled about nothing. And then I kept driving and pulled over the side of the road and rang in again. This is on my way to work. And they were like, it's quarter past eight. You know, we closed the competition at nine o'clock. You've got 45 minutes to ring in and audition if you haven't already. Meanwhile, this had been open for several weeks. There were hundreds of people who'd mm. applied for this job. And I'd heard about it two days prior because of this burning need to change radio stations. It was, you know, like I believe in God. So for me, that was a, prom- a huge prompting from God at that moment to change mm. change radio station. That's the only way I can explain it because like I have yeah. I have no other way of explaining why after ten years of listening to one radio station, I'd get in the car, have to change, find that station, and within ten minutes hear that ad. That essentially changed my whole life. Yeah, that's Just amazing. Story spoiler: <laughs> I ended up auditioning and I ended up getting that job. To was cut it, a long story was it, short. Was it from the audition that you called in with? No. Or so a that, callback? No. So it was this whole massive process, right? I recorded these two auditions thinking they were rubbish and um, and as I pulled into my street at work, they said we're taking some live auditions and I knew I needed to be live. And every I just wanted to fight for it like I've never fought for anything in my mm. life and I immediately called through and I said to the producer, I'm I'm here to do a live audition on air. So they put me on hold. It was the longest hold I've ever been on. My heart was thumping through my chest and um and I went on air with them over the phone. They asked me a couple of questions. I rambled out some answers. And they took down my details and I thought, "Holy crap. <laughs> I've just done my first audition after 10 years, 10 years since I'd finished drama school and I never auditioned for anything and I've just done it." And I celebrated. I was so excited and at that point I was like, I don't even care if I get it. I want it. Yeah. But I don't care if I get it because I'm so proud of myself for putting myself out there finally, mm. believing in myself enough to have a go. 
that was a huge moment of breakthrough for me. Yeah. I never imagined that it would lead to, you know, ultimate success in that, in you know, in that path. So what ended up happening is I had a phone call at quarter past 11 the same day say with a HR interview um, with their program director and their HR person asking me a whole bunch of questions, which I think I nailed. Then um, they said, oh, you know, we're still shortlisting, da-da-da-da-da. We're just interested what your story is and why you want to do this job, mm. especially if you're already teaching full-time. Why would you want to leave yeah. for a five-month maternity cover with no guarantee of any work beyond it? Making sure you're not a nutcase. As well, well, you know. <laughs> and and not, not too much of a nutcase. <laughs> You, you gotta that's, be a, that's more accurate. Yeah, you gotta be a little bit crazy to do uh, breakfast radio. I, I think, think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, quarter past three, the same day, I got another phone call from their breakfast announcer and their producer saying, "Congratulations, you're in the top six. I was like, "What does oh, that even mean?" It's like Australian Idol. Yeah, <laughs> and it was. It was this whole crazy reality radio thing that happened. They had six finalists. I was one of them. Um, each girl co-hosted the breakfast show one day each. So Monday through Friday the following week, there were different girls on and I was the sixth one. I was the last one. I came in in the final hour. They'd already picked their five finalists yeah. like ahead of time before the competition had shut. I called in in that last final half hour and auditioned and for some reason they went, we need that girl. Mm. And so they extended it to a top six. I had to wait until the following Monday to go on air. There was a whole social media campaign on Facebook. People were voting. Listeners were casting votes for who they liked the most. And so all of a sudden I found myself that one day in a radio station for the first time with no preparation on air for three hours with a co-host doing a radio show in Melbourne, capital city market Mm. in a breakfast time slot. That's wild. It's crazy. It's a real like Eminem. You got one moment, yeah. one, one shot, one opportunity. <laughs> don't let it slip, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's it. It sounds like it worked out for you. Well, you know, they ended up not announcing a winner from the top six. They were meant to, and they shortlisted it to two girls, me and another girl. And I knew she was my hardest, stiffest competition. <laughs> so they invited us back, and they gave us feedback, and then they put us on air again. So they wanted to see how we would adapt with right. feedback and 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 all the rest. So it was like a full casting thing, but it was live. It was like the most public job interview yeah, well. <laughs> you've ever had. And, and if you, it's like mostly if you have a job interview and you don't get it, like you might have told a couple of friends yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. going for no, it. No, no, no. All of Melbourne yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listening to that particular station yeah. were part of the journey and they were voting for you or not voting for you and it was nuts. Mm. And um, out of the top two, uh, they actually really struggled to to find – a winner. We were both really eligible candidates for that role. And in the end, it went to me. I still don't exactly know why, but somehow something I did was right. Mm. And I I know that at the end of the day, I can say I just tried to be as me and myself as I possibly could. I didn't want to be anyone else. I didn't want to put on a show. I just wanted to be authentic. And sure. I think at the end of the day, authenticity and vulnerability is something that I feel really strongly about. And that was my goal in being myself. And I think that's what got me the job. That's cool. I mean, you kind of underselling yourself before we started recording about the work that you put in to get here. But it, you have worked hard in some capacity. Like you took a big leap of faith that a lot of people wouldn't. And you 
responded to feedback and were able to do what needed to be done to, to get that yeah. position. So I so. took leave from my teaching job for the remainder of that year and three weeks later was a breakfast announcer mm. on Metropolitan, you know, community radio, Melbourne market, um, breakfast time slot, flagship show for the station. And that That's was awesome. my full-time paid position for five months while the regular host was away. At the end of that period, or during that time, the discovery I made was for the first time in my life, I actually feel like a fish in water. Yeah. Nothing else I'd done had made sense. I was good at other things. I was a, I was a good, I was a great teacher. I love kids. I'm passionate about education. I was good at what I was doing, but my heart didn't resonate there and my quirks didn't fit the way they did when I started working in radio. The the way sure. I was made made sense in radio. Yeah. I I was that it was I was that missing puzzle piece that finally yeah. slotted in and you know completed the picture. And so it was then and there that I went, right, I'm I can't go back to teaching. So even though I'd taken leave without pay and was due to start back the following January in my teaching role I, after experiencing breakfast radio in that maternity position, I was like, no, nah, that's it. Like, this is, this is what I'm meant to be doing. This is, this is what makes me happy. This is what makes me tick. This mm. is what I'm passionate about. This is what I was created for. So I resigned from my teaching job, not knowing what the future was going to hold, knowing that my maternity cover was coming to an end and not knowing what was next. But I knew that I would be miserable and unhappy if I stayed. Yeah. So... I thought if it means starting from the bottom up, I'm willing to do it. But I needed that. But I needed that taste first. And so I was really, really blessed because um, the radio station really loved me. And at the end of the maternity cover, they were like, "We're not willing to let you go. We don't have a position for you on air in a Monday to Friday capacity, Mm. but we've got a Saturday time slot, and we want you to be trained up to panel operate and to this and that and whatever." And they invested in me. They saw potential in me. They mentored me. They air checked with me. They really built me up in that time that I was there and. My confidence soared. My producer was a huge part in that. She was phenomenal at building, uh, you know, others up. And I really benefited from having someone who believed in me as well as a program director who believed in me. So I was given my own four-hour show on a Saturday. And that was it for for the on-air capacity. But they ensured that I had work behind the scenes in the office. And then I did some relief teaching a few days a week to, you know, make make ends meet financially. And I worked my butt off doing that for all of 2015 and it came to the end of the year and I wanted more. I was so hungry for more. And my program director called me in and said, hey, there's a job going in Queensland in breakfast. I think you I think you should go for it. Mm. And I bawled my eyes out because I realized that he hadn't he didn't have a time slot to give me beyond the four hours on a Saturday, which is why he was highlighting this opportunity interstate. And I didn't want to leave. I was so happy in my Melbourne. I was in Melbourne at the time living on Ligon Street um, in Brunswick East, you know, doing all this music stuff, great network of friends, really happy with my lifestyle. Um, And I knew that if I wanted to pursue this career, I had to apply for a job interstate, leave everything I know and go to a hot climate, which I couldn't think of anything worse. (laughs) And um, pursue it and I applied and I got the job and I moved within literally 
about a week of finding out that I had the job, I was on the Gold Coast and hosting breakfast up there for a year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another kind of big leap that you had to take yeah and and part of that process part of that work you had to put in because like i had a similar situation when i finished uni i had to move somewhere i didn't know anyone it was way too hot it was so scary (laughs) yeah i bawled my eyes out for weeks but i knew that i wanted it at the same time Mm. i didn't want to leave my lifestyle in melbourne i didn't want to say goodbye to my friends and my family Mm. but i so desperately wanted to see how far i could go in this industry that i was willing to just pursue it yeah that's what it takes. Yeah. And in terms of like going back to the confidence that you lost mm. as an adult, did you face any imposter syndrome as you were sitting there, you know, behind the mic? Did you feel like, oh, I'm not meant to be here. When am I going to get found out? When are they going to realize I don't know what I'm doing? Was there any of that? Or did you feel like, like you said, you felt like a fish in water. So nah. was there a complete? I never had that feeling of I don't belong here. Yeah. From the minute I stepped into working at a radio station, I knew that I belonged. I knew that this is what I was meant to be doing. Mm. And I just wanted to work my butt off and learn as much as I could about all the bits and pieces that I could do yeah. and, and you know, add add skills to my belt. It wasn't just, you know, mics go on, you, you talk. Uh-huh. It was how do I edit this? How do I use that program? How do I, you know, da-da-da. And, and literally when I ended up on the Gold Coast, I, um, I was panel operating a, a show we had no program director, we had no producer, we had no one in the building who even could answer any of my questions. So I had to learn everything on the job. It was trial and error and it was the best way to learn how to do stuff because I just had to figure it out. I had no one to show me. I had to be resourceful for myself and it was the best experience. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like quite a learning curve. Oh, it was huge. Yeah. But it was so rewarding. Yeah, it was fantastic. There must have been like some pretty disastrous moments on there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I took the station off air a couple of times and it just went to dead air and, you know. Stand by. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. The backup starts playing and you don't know. And you're like trying to work out what went wrong and, you know, you'd be editing something that you'd pre-recorded and and you wouldn't have the cursor at the beginning of the audio. So Uh all of a sudden you'd segue in on on air and you'd go to hit the space bar to start the audio when it had come in halfway through the conversation. And you'd have to. There was all yeah. of all of the blunders, all of the bloopers. Everything was out in the open, and there were plenty of mistakes. Mm. But man, can I just say, mistakes are actually the best way to learn and to excel in what what you're doing. Because once you stuff it up once, you know not to yeah. do it again. <laughs> you know how to double check. You know how to ensure. You know you can figure out what went wrong, and you make sure you don't do that mm. mistake again. Okay. And in terms of like your on-air persona, you're very authentic and you mentioned that's important to you, but have you found over these four years that you've really finessed exactly the way you want to present yourself and things you want to talk about and, and I guess just learning how to, you know, your mic presence, I guess? Or is that something that's just <sighs> a, a natural thing for lack of a better term? I guess it's a yes and a no. There's definitely different versions of me on air depending on who my co-host has been. Because you're working in partnership with someone, your character or your persona on air, even though it's always me and I try to be, as I said, as authentic and as true to myself as I possibly can be, Mm. I have been in situations with 
a, a particular co-host and I won't say who and I won't say where because it wasn't a particularly great experience <laughs> in this particular instance where he was a walking disaster in terms of zero filter. Things were coming out of his mouth but I, I, I basically became damage control and so I lost a lot of who I was in working with him because I felt like I didn't have a voice to be myself. I didn't have a voice to bring the content I wanted to because he was very dominant and, you know, very much wanted the show to have this sound or that feel. Sure. And because of the preposterous things that came out of his mouth a lot of the time, <laughs> I ended up being the one going, oh, you, you can't say that or apologizing or trying to yeah. undo what he'd said. And so in essence, I wasn't there in the sense that I wanted to be. Mm. And that was a really hard time and working through that was really hard. And then, you know, finishing up in that position was also really hard because I went to six months of nothing right. after that. And then it was like, uh, where do I go now? And how do I get back into it? And so there was a really big time for six months of feeling really deflated and feeling not good enough and feeling like who, you know, where was I going to get a job? Where was I prepared to move? Who did I need to speak to? What did I need yeah. to do? Because these jobs are like you can't just pick up the newspaper and look for openings in radio because yeah. <laughs> there might be one going in the whole country at any given time. Yeah. I and mean, there's, there's usually two or three, but like, you know, are you willing to relocate to, you know, northern Queensland, whoop, whoop, for five hours away from nearest civilization kind of thing with mosquitoes yeah. and desert and, you know, like there are some jobs going, yeah. but you've also got to be willing to take it. And at that point I was, but they were still really hard to, to yeah. nail. And the thing about radio jobs is they're not just hard to get, there's so much competition, but also you've got to be current. Mm. And as the clock was ticking and I was coming up to my six-month out of being in radio, my air checks, as in my audio, was becoming dated. And you'd look at a job application and they'd be like, send us audio from the last week, send us audio from the last month. And I'm like, the last month? I don't have current audio from six months ago, yeah. let alone the last month. And so getting your foot back in the door is actually really hard because they want you to be working, they want you to be sharpening your skills, they want you to be doing all those things. And essentially, it was that period that landed me here. I ended up back at home at my mum and dad's in Geelong, which I never thought I'd come back to, funnily enough. But here I was, age 33, single, at my parents' house, unemployed, feeling deflated, knowing I wanted to work in radio, but feeling like, you know, it was slipping away from me because I didn't have up-to-date you know, sound files to submit for these job applications. And I spoke to a good buddy of mine um, in the industry on the phone and he's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you volunteering? Go volunteer somewhere just so mm. you can get current audio, just so that you don't have a gap in your resume, yeah. just so you can be like, yep, this is where I am. This is where I'm working. I am using this system and this equipment and doing this and you're generating your own audio, even as a volunteer, that you can submit and it's current and it's, you know, mm. um, you know, time-sensitive stuff because that's what they're, they're checking for, that sure. you're up to date with current affairs and things like that. And so I picked up the phone and I rang here, 96.3, where I currently work, and I went, I'd like to volunteer. And I came in as a volunteer and that lasted about three weeks um, when all of a sudden their breakfast announcer decided after 10 years that he it was time for him to move on. And 
I came here volunteering, never imagining that there'd be an opening, mm. not responding to an ad, just coming to volunteer to fill the gap in my resume to keep my skills sharp, to be able to pursue other jobs. And all of a sudden the vacancy opened up right where I was and they approached me and said, we really like what you're doing. We'd like to offer you breakfast. And I was like, yes, I'll take it. I'm in. And here I have been for the last 16 months. But, you know, it did did mean giving up my time and, you know, putting my pride aside, I suppose, yeah. to come in. And, and I wanted to volunteer. I wanted to offer my skills that I had, but also make sure that I was staying current in what I was doing. So, yeah, there was work involved in that, I suppose. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess even just the skills of working with your co-host or whatever, is that something that you feel like all that practice as a kid? Did you have flashbacks to that or was it just... Not a, just, not, a, not as a kid, but I guess, you know... Is all, it just all the times you listen to radio and it's like, uh, I know what a DJ is meant to sound like, I know how I'm supposed to interact with these people? I think partly... I have a good intuition and a good ear for radio and I and I do take pride in in what what I put on air and I do want it to sound to a certain standard or you know I am always thinking of here's the story I want to tell what's the best way to get into it what's the best way to entice the listener mm. what's my middle point and how am I going to get out you know you're always there's a formula yeah in a way yeah. there is i mean any storytelling yeah. It's got to have a beginning, middle and end. So you're just doing, you know, two-minute snippets of different stories all the time or a longer, you know, story arc that might continue for a a few different shows or across a week and it's still got that middle, beginning and end. Um, So there's that. But I think most of the – in terms of interacting with the co-host just comes from the fact that I love people. I love Mm. chatting with people. I love interacting with people. I love meeting new people. But, you know – all of those drama classes in high school, all of that, you know, theatre degree that I did after school, um, at university, theatre sports, uh, improvisation, interacting, they, they're all skills you absorb and they become part of, mm. you know, your your skill set. So it's like a muscle that you had yeah. toned over many years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I'd say. All right. So what would you say has been the hardest part of, I guess, getting here? And staying here because it's not necessarily something that once you're here, that's it. Like you have to keep at it and you had a long period of Hmm. not being sure if maybe if there was an immediate future there or or whether it would be consistent. (sighs) The hardest part for me really came down to believing in myself Hmm. and acknowledging that I am good at what I do and you do waver in confidence and you do have days where you come home bawling your eyes out going, why what, am I meant to be doing this? Am I good enough? Are people, are, you know, do listeners, you know, like me <laughs> <laughs> essentially, you know, and you get a variety of feedback. You you get people who call in and say, I love you. You wake me up in the morning. I can't stop <laughs> laughing. It's this and this. And then you have other people that ring up. I had, a fe- I had feedback one day um, via an SMS. Um, saying, you know, Gosha, I really like you, but can you please pronounce your I-N-G endings clearer? (laughs) And it actually made me cry. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I grew up bilingual and I grew up, 
you know, moving between Australia and Poland. Okay. I'm, I'm fluent in, in both languages. And all through my primary school, I, I would be one year in Australia, one year in Poland. So I was forever the foreign kid. Right. I was forever with an accent because in Poland I'd have an Australian accent and in Australia right. I'd have a Polish accent. And when I came back in grade five, six, after being in Poland for a year, I overpronounced my ING words. I would say I went swimming and jumping and kids in my class would pick on me and would pull me up at lunchtime and try to, you know, try to get me to say right, words yeah. that end in ing. And I was bullied for that. And it really sucked. Bullying, full stop, sucks. It doesn't matter what it's for, even if it's something silly like your ing yeah. words. And so I guess subconsciously, yeah. yeah, I guess subconsciously over, over time, I'd, because of that pain that that caused me, I'd actually censored myself to a point where I was dropping INGs off the ends of my words, and I probably still do it, to be perfectly honest. So one day I'm on air and here comes this SMS, Gosher, I really like you, but can you please pronounce your ings because you're not? Because I'd say oh, I went swimming yeah. and jumping and, you know, I, I, I Aussie-fied it so much that I'd lost the ending of those words. And so you get feedback like that and it, and it hurts mm. because there's a personal story behind it. There's a childhood trauma that suddenly came to the surface and your mic goes on in the next break and you've got to be perfectly fine and inside you're actually really hurt. Uh, yeah. And I know that's a trivial sort of story, but that's stuff that you're dealing with on a daily basis. It's a public job. Mm. People are constantly giving you feedback, positive and negative, whether you want it or not. And you're constantly assessing, am I strong enough? Am I tough enough? You know, am I good enough? Sure. And so that's a big battle. Yeah. It can be on a bad day. It yeah. can be really big. I can imagine you, it pretty much just comes down to having the right personality to weather that. And well, if you have to push it aside, then you, you can and you can move on. I guess for me at the end of the day, I, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt I feel it in in every fiber of my being that I am where I'm where I'm meant to be. Mm. I am where I am because this is right. This is the right fit. And but, not everyone's yeah. going to love you. Not everyone's going to be on board 100%. You're going to say something stupid. You're going to have people disagree. Mm. Things come out your mouth you don't always plan. Sometimes <laughs> your mouth speaks before your brain's had time to process yeah. it. It's all live. It's happening in the moment. And you you have to be able to deal with that. And yeah. so that, that, that poses challenges. Mm. But at the end of the day, I couldn't think of anything else that I would rather do more than be here. Yeah. And I mean, the story of how you got here with the whole turning the Triple J station over, that must be really affirming. If you ever did have a moment of doubt, like, no, this is where I'm oh, meant yeah. to be. It comes back to that moment of like, why did I need to change the station then? <laughs> it changed the entire course of my life from that yeah. moment henceforth. It's awesome. And you come back to that and you go, no, 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 it's it's like a predetermination. It's almost like a destiny that mm. I've, uh, you know, I've stepped into my destiny. <laughs> yeah, I don't Sliding know. doors. Yeah, truly. Mm. I don't know where I would be if I wasn't here. I probably wouldn't be as satisfied as I am. That's rad. So what would be your advice to people who have an interest in radio or anything that I guess takes confidence to, to do you know, to step out and, and do what they've always wanted to do because I, I, think, I think that's where you might be in the best position to give advice. I think what I want to say is you don't need to be anybody. You just need to be you. 
I I stuck by just being me. I couldn't do the funny voices or tell the silly jokes that I thought I needed to, but I just came in being myself. And I hear people say, "Oh, I'm not really funny," or "I'm not," or "I have a," or "I have a lisp." I hear that from people. I've got a speech impediment. I'm not. And I go, "No, hang on. Those things are what make you unique." Yeah. So does John Safran. Exactly. <laughs> you know, Husey, for example, has, oh, man, yeah. has uh, he's got a he's got a voice where you know so many people would have said, "Nah, mate, you're not for radio," because mm. he's ah, you know, I got that sort of. I'm not good at impersonations, <laughs> but <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you know what he sounds like, yeah. and you go, "Hang on." He's in, you know, a top rating show in a top rating time slot and he's been there for years upon years upon years. It's not about how you sound, it's about what he brings to mm. the table. And I think everyone has something to bring. If you want to be in radio, find what makes you you and be the best you that you can be. Because if you're trying to be somebody else, if you're trying to impersonate someone else or sound like Hamish and Andy because they were on a good wicket and mm. da 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 you're not being true and you can you can only fake it for so long. Sure. The only way to succeed, in my opinion, in this industry is to offer what you have and what you have is unique. Hmm. And I think we all have that. That's cool. That sounds a bit naff, but I it's do good. think it's true. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's cliche, it's cliche for a reason yeah. is what I always well, say. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got my back. Yeah. That's that's what I do. I, I I'm here to to boost my my guests. I'm not going to tear anyone down. Yeah, great. On this show, <laughs> behind the scenes though. <laughs> yeah. So the last question that I have for you is something I ask everyone, Gosha. And by the way, maybe the reason you won that competition was because of your name. You know, it's a good name for a breakfast show. Well, I always <laughs> said if Osha from The Bachelor mm. and Koshi and myself got together. We could be the Osh Kosh Bagosh show, and I feel like that's got a good ring to it. It's, it does. You might have to will that into existence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm speaking it out prophetically yeah. now. <laughs> anyway, the, the last question, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh, man. If I could do anything and know that I couldn't fail? Uh, uh, I'd sing. Yeah. Yeah. I would make singing my main thing. I would make that my bread and butter. That performing in front of a live audience on a stage with music. Mm. If I could survive off that, then I would be there. But I'd kind of want to still do radio as well. <laughs> Is that too greedy? <laughs> you can play your own songs. That wouldn't be corny at all. <laughs> no. What kind of music would you want to do, like an acoustic kind of two-piece two thing? See, or? this is the thing. I, there's so many, there are so many styles that I would want to do. There's the jazz thing. There's the gypsy mm. thing. There's the rockabilly, bluesy thing. There's the acoustic, the folky, the u- ukulele. I mean, yeah. I'm passionate about that. I teach uke and, and host a couple of jam sessions. Like, if I could do all of it in some capacity, then yeah, <laughs> I'd cool. want to do that. All right. Good to know. Well, there you go. Thanks for joining me. It's it's been really good. Like I have I've, this is probably going to be like my 88th or 89th episode and that's one of the most enthralling stories that I've heard in this time. Gosh, and I know you probably didn't think you had much of a story to tell, but yeah, you really do. Thanks. Thank you. It's all right. Cuz you don't you don't think of yourself as having a story. It's just your life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. I was a journalist for 7 years and the guy that had been at the paper for 40 years told me on his retirement day, like, everyone has a story. Mm. 
you just have to find it. Sometimes. I believe that. Yeah, it's so true. Well, thanks. Thanks for letting me share my story. <laughs> Good on you. Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch all of Gosha and DJ's antics over at the Facebook page, facebook.com slash 96 and then the word 3, so 96.3. Tune in every weekday from 6.30 to 9.30 for that show, Eastern Daylight Savings Time, and also stream it online at 963.com.au. If you enjoyed the episode, it helps a great deal to leave an iTunes review. And if you want to catch me on Twitter, I'm at Jono himself. Until next week, keep putting in work.